0: May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Well, it's great uh, to be here with you again, to see a lot of old faces and uh, increasingly old. The only person that didn't seem to age was my picture on the screen, and I'm not exactly sure what exactly happened there, but uh, anyway, it was nice to have that photo up there. Um the uh anyway again like i said it's it's nice to see a lot of older folks here um, that we've known for many many years but i did want to introduce you to one young couple i know i'm going to embarrass them they stood up earlier but i have to introduce them they're good friends from israel um, ariel and gal burnbaum please stand up here they um are come on, get up stand up, step stand up, stand up, stand up. they uh ariel and i were were co-laborers in in a Work, a ministry uh, between the Israeli Arabs, Palestinian Arabs, and Messianic Jews in Israel. We work together. It's tough, it's tough ministry, and we've learned a lot. We've worked together for a number of years, and so it's a blessing. Now you guys have them. We lost them for at least temporarily anyway, but you guys have them and bless them, and they're, they're great people, so please get to know them anyway. So thanks, you guys. <clears throat> and they're they're a little bit shy, so I'd probably embarrass them for next week or two, but uh, whatever. Um, only other thing I just want to say is um, it's, it's odd being here in a suit. Um, last time I wore a suit was when I was in the U.S. last year. I mean, because Israel, they don't wear suits. That's just the way it is. You just don't wear suits. And, um, and so, in fact, I have like five or six suits in my closet that are full of dust because that's, that, that's basically all that happens. And uh, also what's a little bit odd, you might be surprised, is that um, in Messianic congregations in Israel, not only do they not wear talitot um, like this, but none of them wear kippot. And um, so, we attend a congregation in the north, a large congregation in the north. I don't, I wear my my kippah, um, not the talit, not the talit, but uh, I'm the only one. And it's like two, three hundred people. So I mean, it's really pretty different. Uh, the only thing that's uniquely Jewish and Israeli in those congregations is that they. They all speak Hebrew, which I don't, so that makes it even more difficult. So, uh, so anyway, that's kind of the background there. And so, but anyway, it's, it's good to be back with everybody. And uh, I wanted to talk today about something that is said that you never talk about over dinner. Who can tell me what that is? You never talk about these subjects over dinner. Religion and politics, right. Oh, man, I can't believe you've chosen to speak about this subject. And if I offend you, I'm sorry, but, but I do need to talk about it. And um, I actually talked about this in 2008 here during the Obama election campaign, and, uh, in the, in, although I'm going to talk differently today. But, um, and the reason I did back then was because um, there was a, it was a variety of reasons. Number one was that a number of religious leaders in here in this country were accusing Obama being a Muslim, and un-American, and all kinds of other things like that, which honestly, it was disgraceful. You know, it was really disgraceful, and I was really concerned because it wasn't true. Number two, that politics was spreading into our congregation, and it was becoming increasingly divisive. And number three is that our congregation at that time, can't say for you where you you are are now, but we're mostly conservative and Republican, and yet most Jewish people are liberal and Democrats. And we wanted this place to be a welcoming space for Jewish people. And you have to decide, as a congregation, what is your mission? Ours was we wanted Jews to be able to hear about Yeshua in Jewish space. That was the goal. And so um, it kind of reminded me that, during that period of Tikvot's early days, in the early 1990s, as you well know, right across the street, maybe you don't if you haven't been here, is an abortion clinic. And um, we've always been pro-life. We were always pro-life congregation. But, um, but in those early days, a lot of very r- rabid anti-abortion protesters were not only attended, but were members, and some were actually in the leadership of the congregation. And, um, and some of them wanted us wanted to put down pamphlets in the entranceways of dead babies uh, to, to make the point. And I said no. And the reason I said no was because if you, any non-Messianic Jews walked in here and saw those pamphlets, they'd walk out and not even, not even come into the sanctuary, not even be in the service. Because the issue is, what is, what is your priority? What is our priority? What is our mission? that's the gist. Eleven years later, here we are, and the world has become a very dangerous place right now. It's similar, really, in some respects to the 1930s. And America is more divided now, certainly in any time in my lifetime, including the 1960s, possibly ever since the Civil War. And I hate to say this, and I... I'm sorry if it offends anybody, but one of the major contributing factors to the division is the evangelical, evangelical church immersing itself into partisan politics. That's one of the major divisive points. Consider what some of the first words that were spoken about Yeshua's coming to this earth. The, some of the first words that were spoken about this, which was when the angels revealed themselves to the shepherds. Back in Israel where I live. They said, Do not be afraid. For behold, I will bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Repeat with me, all people. All people, right? And then he goes on to say, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. That is, is the gospel. You see, that is the good news. That's what this season happens to be out, right? That is the gospel. Now notice how the angels prefaced this announcement to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. Now, if a gay person came in here or in some of all these churches, would they be afraid? Would they? Let me tell you a story in the early two thousands. We were, uh, I got a call from a Jewish woman, a non, non-Messianic Jew, and uh, she said, uh, can we meet? I said, sure. So we got together, and um, she told me that her daughter had become a Christian, was attending a church, and she was trying to find a place that would try to maybe merge the two, meld the two somehow. And she, she was asking me, so she said, so how often do you talk about abortion and homosexuality? And I was kind of taken aback by the question. I said, well, honestly, I don't think I ever really talk about it. And she said, really? I said, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. You know, I don't really remember that much. I said, mainly I just talk about the Word of God, God's Word, how it changes your lives, the hope of the gospel, and all this kind of stuff. And so eventually she came here. She confessed Yeshua as the Messiah. She became really involved, shared with the congregation. But then what happened was during the... 2008 election, the Obama election, because so many of the people here had gotten so caught up into the partisan politics and were accusing Obama of being all kinds of things, that she no longer felt comfortable any longer because she was a liberal, democratic Jew, which 80% of the Jews in America are. And so, bam, they were gone, and it it was really a bummer. You see, what is the gospel? Paul said, it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. That's the gospel. Now, some of you know that I have a long history in religion and politics. I grew up in a very political home. Uh, my father ran several political campaigns. He worked in the Senate, then in the White House. Then later, I, I, was, I worked in the Senate for a number of years, and, um, and then... Went into the ministry first, uh, went to seminary, and then served uh, here for a little over twenty years as a rabbi, and now I'm again involved in politics at some level in Israel, um, and so I have a long history. When I was working on Capitol Hill, I started a Bible study. Uh, it's actually in a pretty was in a really cool place. There's up on Capitol Hill, of course, you know you have the Capitol in the center, and then the in the center, and then you have on either side on the north and the south side, you have the Senate on the north and the House Office buildings on the South, and then you have the Supreme Court on the east, and right between the Supreme Court and one of the Senate office buildings, there was this united Methodist building right there it 's a small building owned by the Methodist Church. It must be worth unbelievable amounts of money but, um, but anyway, there was a little chapel in there, and we took this chapel and we invited congressional staff and even members if they wanted to come and I used to lead this study over several years and, um, and t- People from both parties came, Democrat and Republican, mostly staff. Occasionally a member of Congress would come, but not that often. And there was, I had one rule. The rule was politics was left at the door. When you walked into the room, all we were going to talk about is the word of God, the power of God, and how can he change people's lives. And that was it. And so people were in there, we didn't talk about politics, we didn't talk about legislation, even though everybody was, that's what were, that was their world, they were immersed in it, but nothing. All we were there was to talk about the Lord. You see, the gospel is good news to all men, Jew and Gentile, black and white, Democratic and Republican, conservative and liberal. The gospel brings reconciliation, or it seeks to bring reconciliation between people. And yes, it can bring division. The name of Yeshua obviously can bring division. But, but it's just about, it should be, the division only should be over who He is and that's it. That should be the only divisive thing. But the ultimate goal of the gospel is reconciliation between God and man and man and man. That is the ultimate goal. And sadly these days, the gospel has become divisive because it's associated with, the, with conservative politics, the Republican Party, and Donald Trump. Now, I don't, I'm not taking sides here. I'm not taking sides at all. Because I don't care if you're for Elizabeth Warren or you're for Donald Trump. That's not the point. What is the point? The point is illustrated best between the confrontation between Yeshua and Pontius Pilate. If you remember... Pontius Pilate, was the, was, he was the governor of uh, Judea, governor of Rome. He was a politician. And he's, Yeshua is brought before him. He's turned over by the religious leaders. And Pilate says to him, are you the king of the Jews? It's a political question. He's basically saying, are you my competitor here, Jack? Right? That's what he's really, that's what he's really saying. And so... Note Yeshua's response. My kingdom is not of this world. See, that's the issue. My kingdom is not of this world. Yeshua's primary message is the kingdom of God is at hand. If we follow Yeshua, we become members of the kingdom of God. Who remembers the four spiritual laws? Raise your hand. If you remember the four spiritual laws, anybody? Wow, this is weak. Guys, I guess, I guess you're way too young for me. The four spiritual laws was like a pamphlet that you, handed, that you would use to try to win people to the Lord. And in this four spiritual laws pamphlet, there was an illustration of a, throne, some, uh, of a throne, and on the throne was an E, means ego, and that you're sitting on the throne. But then what happens is when you become a believer... The the E is removed from the throne and Yeshua becomes on the throne and now you belong to him. That's the idea. So in other words, those people who become members of the kingdom live for God and for other people. You are to showcase a different type of life. God fills our lives. God has broken into this sinful and dark world to bring about hope and change. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that I know and that I've given my whole life to for my, since I was 17 years old. Do you realize that Yeshua never spoke about politics? Isn't that odd? He was in the middle of tons of religious, of political activity. There were multiple political religious parties in the, in the New Testament period. They were all vying for power. And then, of course, you had Rome on top of it. It was just a big, big polygon of, uh, polygon, you probably don't know that word. A big, big thing of mess. But occasionally he was confronted with a political question. And the most famous one was when he was asked, should we pay taxes is it lawful to pay the taxes the roman taxes well, what's that about you see roman taxes were used for rome's military occupation over the land of israel and it was obviously it was very very unpopular and so they were trying to entrap yeshua those who asked the question because they figured that if he said yes you should pay the taxes then he would lose the support of the masses but if he said no you shouldn't pay the taxes then he would be considered by the Roman government to be a rebel, and then his life would be at, would be at risk. So it was a good trap. But his response was very re- revealing, remember? He asked the people whose image is on the coin. And they said, What's well, Caesar? And then, of course, he responded, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and God's what is God's. What is the point? There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdoms of this world, and there's the kingdom of God. And there's a difference, and they're distinct. Yes, they interrelate. Yes, they mix and match and so on and so forth, but they're different. And if you belong to the kingdom of God, then you do things God's ways, not the ways of the world, not the ways of the kingdoms of this world. You don't achieve the purposes of God through political means. I'm going to say that again. You do not achieve the purposes of God through political means. It's not possible. I've become so concerned with this, this subject matter that I've started writing a series of blogs on Facebook, which I hate. I mean, I don't like, I hate Facebook, and I, only, I, I don't want to get into the whole history of me and Facebook, but I'm just going to say, but I'm now on Facebook, and I'm writing blogs on religion and politics because I want the believers to see that they're making a critical mistake here of getting so involved and in associating uh, their faith with partisan politics. And it's, uh, you can find it on, on my website, all the, all, the, all the things are on the blogs and so forth. Now, why? Why am I concerned? Because politics has poisoned the gospel. We need to get back to being the answer, to bringing hope, offering hope and help, and to show that we're different than the rest. That's the thing. You see, the first two centuries after Yeshua, most of His followers refused to serve in the government or in the military because there was a requirement to swear allegiance to the Roman gods. And as Christianity grew, there was public pressure on the Christians in the, in the empire to do their duty and to serve in both the government and the military. And they finally began to. And then in the fourth century, Christianity became the state religion of the Roman Empire. And from there, everything went downhill. Because what ended up happening was the, the corruption of the, of the political realm got into the church. And it became increasingly corrupt and and, abuse and abusive and so forth. And it went throughout the centuries. It continued past the Roman Empire and into the Byzantine Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, the Russian Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and on. This This is the... This is the type of situation that led Martin Luther to attack the church because of its association with the state and politics and the abuses that were occurring in in the church because of those associations. It's the same thing with the Puritans in England. They were reacting to the contamination of the gospel through its association of the state and politics and everything else. There needed to be something unique and different. And this was the driving force behind the founding fathers of this country and the Constitution who, who helped to establish the First Amendment. The goal was to separate the church from the state and to allow the kingdom of God to grow on its own, not to be infused and to be contaminated by politics. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting at all that followers of Yeshua not be involved in politics. I'm not saying that. I mean, I am. I was and I am now. But we're called to be, God has called us to be a light to the world. And I believe that we're to be involved in all vocations, including politics, to be the salt of the earth, wherever we are. That's what I'm doing now in Israel, like I said. I'm a member and an activist in the Blue and White Party of Israel, and they know, the leadership knows that I'm a Messianic Jew. And I don't make make any excuses for it. And my goal ultimately is to help the Messianic community with the integration into into that world. But there's a huge difference between being an individual believer, running for office or working for candidates, and being God's choice in an election. There's no such thing, okay? It's dangerous for anybody to proclaim that this person is God's choice. It's extremely dangerous. I remember when the fusion of religion and politics really took, took hold in this country because I was working on Capitol Hill at the time. This was when the Moral Majority was formed. and The goal was to return America to its Christian foundations. And while I embraced some of the va- views and the values of the Moral Majority, I felt at the time that it was a huge mistake. I want us to, to take abortion as an example for what has happened in this country. This has become a make-or-break issue for the evangelical uh, Christ, Christian political realm. Ironically about this issue is that it wasn't, it was, in other words, the evangelical believers' leadership was not against abortion in the earlier days. It was only until the late 70s, early 80s that it took on this kind of thing. And yes, after 40 years of political activism, activism, yes, some states have imposed restrictions on abortion, there's no question, and there's certainly some lives have been, have been potentially saved as a result of those restrictions. But on the other hand, abortion is so associated with politics that it's completely polarized in this country. Something that should be so fundamental to human life has gotten so polarized that it's just horrible. In the late 1970s and early 80s, more and more of the evangelical church got involved in the political realm. And they took on increasingly, uh, increasingly all kinds of various types of positions. And, uh, and I remember at the time thinking at when they first got involved that a lot of the th- things that they were saying, they were outlandish because these people were not, they, were, they, they didn't come from a political background. And so they would say things that were like extreme. And when, if you're involved in politics and you're an extremist, it's not going to work. I remember um, in the mid-80s, Pat Robertson asked for a meeting with my boss, Senator Stevens, and he got involved. He, uh, he wanted to talk about an issue that wasn't really anything that I had to do with it, anything that I had to do with it. But, um, but I asked the senator if I could be the staff, to staff, the meeting, and he said sure. And so, uh, so anyway, I got to you know I talked to Pat Robertson and stuff like that, and then it gave me the opportunity because what I really wanted is to have an opportunity to talk to him separately. And this was before he ultimately ran, you know, for president in 1988, so it was a few years before, but he had gotten more and more involved politically. And um, so I wrote him a letter afterwards from, on the senator's stationery, which is probably questionable ethically, but that's beside the point. And, um, but anyway, so I, I wrote him a letter, and I just, and I challenged him. I said, you know, I said, I really think you're making a mistake in associating the gospel with politics because it's, I said it's going to harm the gospel, ultimately. And he wrote me back, personally, a letter, and he, you know, of course he disagreed and everything, but, but, the, but the point was that the train was already running down the track, and I think could, going to be creating problems. So what is the proper relationship between religion and politics? Religious leaders, like I was, we're here... To represent the Lord. We have a sacred trust before God. And our role is to speak about the Lord, speak about God, to shepherd and care for our flocks, to set an example and to challenge the spiritual and moral condition of the congregations in society. It's somewhat of a, of a prophetic role, the role of a Congregational leader or religious leader is somewhat prophetic. It's calling people back to the Lord. That's the real goal. But what religious leaders have to understand, they have tremendous influence over the people. They might not want to have influence, but when you stand up here week after week and you're speaking to people, you have a lot of influence. When you get when religious leaders get too close to politicians in government, trouble begins. And the best example of that was what happened with Billy Graham. The story of Billy Graham of course, one of the great, probably one of the greatest evangelists of all time, but he had become very, very close. He had been very much involved in politics and very close with President Richard Nixon. And he got very involved with the White House; he was always there and so on. And he defended Nixon through all the upheaval of the Watergate period. And it wasn't until that the Watergate tapes were finally exposed and he heard the president for the first time saying the kinds of things that he did that he knew that he'd been lied to and manipulated by the President of the United States. And he later said that he it was one of his most regretful decisions of his life was to get so involved in politics, and he backed out. He, he still was kind of America's, like, Christian leader and still was invited by, by uh, both parties uh, to you know, oversee spiritual events, including what happened after 9-11 and stuff. But he had backed away from partisan politics because he realized it. Religious leaders should never become tools of a politician or politics. And politicians should never become a tool of a religious leader. They're two separate institutions. Religious leaders and institutions should never endorse candidates, political candidates. It's a big mistake. Now, that doesn't mean that religious the religious people should not influ- or that religion should not influence politics not at all because most people in the U.S. are people of faith and they should be they should be involved in other words faith properly faith influences our worldview it influences our perspective and our policies and so on that's fine and even asking a candidate about their faith I think is fine it's appropriate. In fact, probably one of the most famous interviews about faith occurred when John John F. Kennedy was running for president in 1960. And the big fear was that the Catholic Church was going to take over um, the United States if he became president, because he would be the first Catholic president. And this is what he said about this question. It's a great quote. He says, let me stress again, These these are my views. For contrary to common newspaper usage, I am not the Catholic candidate for president, I'm the Democratic Party's candidate for president who happens to also be a Catholic. I do not speak for my church on public matters, and the church does not speak for me. That's it. And we could replace the word Catholic for Christian now, right? In other words, that we're not here representing the Christian church if you're running for, uh, for, running for office or anybody else, but you just you are running as a representative of your party and you just happen to be a Christian. Okay, whatever. So what should... Religious people do. Here's my last several points. Number one, we're called to pray. And I mean now more than ever for prayer. This country needs a revival of unbelievable proportion. Yes, many of the cultural changes that this country is going through is contrary to the biblical view. No question. But the scripture says that judgment first comes to the house of God. And so we need to pray that Yeshua becomes central to the believing community again and not the appointment of conservative Supreme Court justices. Okay? The issue is Yeshua. That's the issue. You and me and society, we need Yeshua. We need transformation. We need to be overhauled. And when we are, then society changes. That's what happens. That's the gospel. And then we pray for those in government and leadership, no matter who we are and how much we don't like them or do like them. We just pray. Number two, in democracy, we're called to vote. We're participants in this government. The people choose, including you and me. And just because a certain candidate prevails, it doesn't mean that that winning candidate was God's choice or God's will, you know? doesn't mean that. People say, well, yeah, but what about the Scripture and stuff like that? But, and, uh, like, Romans 13, well, Romans 13, I don't think, I don't think it involves this at all. I, I think people misinterpret it. I don't think it has anything to do with civilian gov- civil government at all. And, um, and this, because if it's true that who we vote into office is God's choice, that means that Adolf Hitler was God's choice because he was elected into, into office by the people. And you're really going to tell me that that was God's will, that Adolf Hitler become the head of Germany and slaughter six million Jews and 20-plus million other people? You know, that's not the God that I know. That's all I can tell you. It doesn't work that way. We're the ones responsible for the, who who gets voted into office. Number three, no matter what, we are to act in a godly fashion. Refrain from demonizing the other side. They're not evil people. Everybody are just humans. We're all made into the image of God. We all need the Lord. Everybody is like that. doesn't matter who they are. They're all the same. And so when you call this other side the radical left or you, you say that the believers, they're really like the handmaiden's Tale on television, that is demonizing the other side. And that's destructive. And social media is the ones, is, is what the, what's responsible for the fueling this hatred that has crept up into this country. It's horrible. And amazingly, what has mostly contributed to social media dysfunction has been a Russian disinformation campaign that has infested itself into the American populace, and people don't even realize what they're hearing and, say, and seeing. It's really true. What's interesting is my father-in-law, Stacy's father, worked for the CIA for his whole career. He was an expert in electronics communication and eavesdropping. Russia was always the enemy to him. I remember having just classical discussions and arguments with him for years about Russia. Because they were the enemy. And then, you know, Russia eh, had a revolution and... uh, They're no longer the Soviet Union. They're no longer communists. They're now our friends, blah, 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 blah. He died 20 years ago or so. I'd love to have a conversation with him today about how much that they've infested themselves into, have infected themselves into the American political populace because that's what's happened. Number four, we're to become informed, not by listening to crazy conspiracy theorists, on the internet or radio and TV commentators who simply bash the other side. Remember, if you listen to that stuff, garbage in, garbage out. That's what ends up happening. The, the print media is much more reliable, honestly, than the uh, television side media because it's more of a profession. It's journalism and not entertainment. And for me, what I try to do is stay abreast by reading moderate to liberal to moderate conservative uh, writers who are well-established, well-known writers to kind of keep me abreast of the news, not the craziness that goes on all the time. Number five, if you're involved with political campaigns, you have to understand you're not representing a religious community. And like, like President Kennedy said, and don't bring campaigns into your congregations. Number six, I believe that religious communities do have A role in politics. However, I believe the role is to be a prophetic voice. In other words, what does that mean? That means first and foremost to call those in power to account for corruption over issues of corruption. When you look at the Bible and you look at the role of the prophets, they were often calling the leadership out over issues of corruption. That's one of the prophetic roles I believe that the body should have. Number two is to call for the Call for righteousness and justice in society. In my view, that can be for the unborn and the immigrant, equally. Number three, call for the protection of the weak, vulnerable, and downtrodden. That's our role. And certainly, we can be, I think it's fine to be involved in marches and protests. They're perfectly reasonable for believers, but where I would draw the line is associating religious communities or religious leaders with political parties and parties and candidates this is dangerous and has a terrible history my final point is this whoever wins we pray for them but we act as a prophetic voice into their lives let me tell you something political power is very enticing i know cuz i used to be in that world and very much in that world and I, and I always thought that I was somewhat exempt from this in, the enticing nature of political power. But when I left Capitol Hill, it took, it took a, a year or two of almost like withdrawal. It was like I was having withdrawal symptoms. It was as if I was an addict. And I didn't realize how much it had consumed me. Because political power is enticing and very addictive. And I hate to say this, but I believe that many religious leaders who are close political leaders have gotten enticed by political power. Most of all, remember that our mission is to promote the gospel. As Yeshua said, my kingdom is not of this world. Folks, let's be a light in our community. Let's be promoters of peace and reconciliation. Like Yeshua said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known as the children of God. Let's pray. Lord, this is a difficult time that we're all living in, Lord, a very divisive time for this society, really for the whole world. And, uh, Lord, Father, first I just pray for each of us, Lord, that we would recognize in our own hearts that we have nothing apart from you. Lord, that it's only you that really matters, Lord, and that your words have the power to transform, oh God, of the people around us. Lord, we pray for this country, Lord. We pray, Lord, for a revival in your people, Lord, that they would separate themselves from all this division. And Father, we would be, once again, promoters of the good news of reconciliation and peace, Lord. Father, we We just acknowledge you today, and we give you all the glory and praise. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen and amen.